Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. So the last time we got together, it was before Easter. Happy right? Easter. Yeah, happy Easter to you too, Jeremy. He has risen. He has risen indeed? Yeah, it's good. Uh, today, we're, we're not going to talk about Easter and resurrection. We're actually going to talk about the cross. Now, we're not talking about the cross in the sense of atonement. A lot of times when we talk about the cross, we talk about salvation in the sense of Jesus he won my salvation or he paid it all or he did something to atone for me and that tends to be in my opinion what gets the most press so like what actually happened on the cross what jesus the the outcome maybe of the cross yeah rather than what actually it is or was or why jesus even had to to take it up and then why he in essence, commanded us or said, if you want to be a part of this, this is what it looks like. We don't talk about that a whole lot. It's more of the outcome because and I think it has maybe to do because we are such an individual culture, like because that that affects me individually. But I think cross has ramifications for the world and culture and, and, and everything. And we don't get at that a whole lot, maybe. Right. So Jesus says, anyone who would come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, we realize that the Gospels were written after Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead. It's not like there was a journalist following Jesus his whole life doing a real-time documentary. No press conferences happening. They exactly. Were yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No Twitter. And so when the, so when the, when the disciples, when the, when the people are recalling, the, the followers of Jesus are recalling the things that he said, they are recalling them from the lens of the crucifixion and the resurrection. But it is a part of the, the early accounts that Jesus did, did say this to his disciples, that if anyone would come after him, they must take up a cross. And that is that line is troubling. It's painful. I would rather not think about it. <laughs> Particularly as we think about Good Friday. It seems like when I was a child, the passion of the Christ came out. I say when I was a child, I think it was in early high school. I'm not that old. Uh, the passion of the Christ came out. And I remember going to see it in theaters and it was just gruesome. Brutal. You know? And uh, this this podcast, is, podcast today is not about the passion of the Christ. But what's interesting to me about the passion of the Christ is everybody loved that movie. Yeah. At least as far as like, Christian media is concerned and I think the reason they and how gruesome it was because we want to believe we want to believe that that's how gruesome the cross is for whatever reason I'm not sure what all the reasons are but we really want to believe that that's how gruesome the cross is however since the passion of the Christ came out I don't remember hearing many sermons about of people saying hey remember that movie that Mel Gibson just did that we all love the passion of the Christ and we're all saying like that's exactly what happened to Jesus well Jesus says that's exactly what's supposed to happen to us because he says take up your cross you know what I'm saying I mean we love we love this idea that Jesus takes on the cross and then I'm saved and I kind of get out of suffering 
that's how what I hear promoted when people talk about the cross of Christ, when people talk about Good Friday. We talk about Jesus did all the work on the cross, but the thing is Jesus specifically says to his disciples, if you want in, that's you too. And I don't know if if that would have been the point of Mel Gibson's you know, if that was our perspective of the cross in Christianity, if as something for us to embrace also, I don't know that we would just love the gory, violent depictions of it. I think that, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on uh, ramifications of the passion of the Christ, I feel like, and, and, you know, some hot takes, you know, is, is Jesus more of a William Wallace in that movie than he is who, you know, maybe a later podcast. I have a lot of thoughts on, on just that whole what was Mel Gibson really trying to do, and what? How, why did why did Christianity or evangelicals embrace it so much? Well, the thing is, Jeremy, we're not funded, as we reminded our listeners again and again and again. No one's paying us, so why don't we do it? That's the next one. All right, I'm right? down. I'm down. I got like I said, I got a lot of thoughts, but um, but I think that that when Jesus said this phrase, um. I think that when we look at things like the Sermon on the Mount and we look at it, that, that the taking up a cross was more of a way of living where um, it was an understanding of how the world worked and how we were to live in the world. And, and, and did Jesus mean a literal cross? Potentially. But I think that Jesus, the reason he went to the cross would be the reasons that if we lived like him, potentially that would be the ultimate destination for our life as well. Um, and that probably was way, I don't know, did that make sense? Uh, do I need to flesh yeah. that out a little bit? So it, it, it wasn't necessarily like that was the way power of that day got rid of the people who were treasonous or spoke against the, the empire. I don't, I don't know that, that we, that Jesus meant for us. We had this guy when I was growing up in our, our town in Chattanooga who would literally walk down the streets with a cross dressed up as white Anglo Jesus hmm. and would walk the streets carrying a little cross. Now, he, he had a little cheat. He had little wheels on the bottom of it. So he, could he had wheels on the bottom of yeah, his yeah, cross? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not real big. I mean, there, but there was something that made it a little easier to get it down the sidewalk or something like that. Now, that's... That's cheating, <laughs> Jesus. Because Jesus didn't. Jesus did not say you'll have to take up your cross and there will be wheels on it. You know. So this. You know. I mean, this guy. You should have called him out. You should have said, "Now, pal, listen." But listen. I, to get to the point of, I don't think that Jesus literally meant carry a wooden cross down a street so that people will know. I think it was a way of, like this guy was taking it. You know, he was literally, I'm going to take up my cross, a cross. Sure. Um, but I think, in essence, what Jesus was saying, that if you live this way, the empire will get rid of you on some level. And in that day, that was a way to tell the disciples, this is where this is heading. This is like it, this is how this is going to end. And if you're going to follow me and live the way that I am calling you to live, ultimately, this is is potentially where it will be for you as well. I think that looks different for us in America. You know, we're not... We don't have crucifixions happening all you know around the corner or down the street, but I do think it means that society and culture will not know what to do with you if we take on the understanding of who Jesus is calling us to be, and therefore, um, as Jesus promised, persecution things are going to happen. People are going to look at you in a different way because you're looking at power and saying that's not how we think the world actually works or how God set it up. We're going to live for something different. 
I think you bring up a very good point. And I do believe that the Christian church in North America particularly has been co-opted by a lust for power. I think that is something that, that is very clear to me as I've just been spending this year reading a lot about the development of uh, Christianity, particularly Protestant and evangelical theology in America in the 20th century. I really do think that there was a point at which a lust for political power overtook kind of any sort of substantial theological movement in in kind of a national conversation. It culminated, you know, in the religious right. And then in 2015, James Dobson writing a letter, 15 or 16, him writing a letter to the church in North America saying, we all recognize that Donald Trump is not a very moral man, but that doesn't matter anymore. Right. What we What matters is the Supreme Court, you know. He started out saying focus on the family. He ended up saying focus on the Supreme Court. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that we should just all recognize that, you right. know. Um, but but here's here's I, I, I say that kind of big meta narrative about how the church in America has been co opted by a lust for power, but I also see it in a local yeah. in a local sense, in that I'm you know um, on the older end, but a millennial. And a lot of millennials in the denom in my denomination right now, in our denomination, in our movement, are kind of in this awkward phase of middle management and beginning to gain senior leadership positions, which is always kind of an awkward transition. And I, we don't talk about this enough, just even in human development, the, the transitions, the stages of transitions from adolescence to adulthood, from being taken care of to having all of the responsibility you know growing up is tough and and it's not just i i, th I think i i assumed that i would go to college and at call somehow in the process of the university i would go from being an adolescent to being an adult but one of the things that i've realized is that it didn't work that way right you know um growing up to be a leader to be someone that has authority in any institution, it requires a lot of attention to relational dynamics, mm. and it's it's a very inter, it's very much an interpersonal discipline, just as much as um, any sort of discipline is, you know, academic or professional. All disciplines that are you know have any sort of utility in society, they're social, you know. So, but one of the things that I'm noticing in the denomination right now is, I'm you know, this, this generation of pastors is coming as, is I'm, I'm a part of conversations in which I hear many of my peers saying about the denomination or the denominational leaders that they're either being persecuted in the sense that they're being given a hard time for, for their opinions or perspectives that are different than the status quo, or they're not being given positions of privilege because they're kicking against the status quo. Okay, so I hear this, I hear this, and on the one hand, I'm like, well, at least you ought to recognize you're in fellowship with Jesus, if that's the case, you know, Jesus was a millennial, you know, I mean, yeah. he was 30, he was, you know, not not a millennial in the sense of like the generation that we're located in, but he was, I mean, Jesus is a guy who's early 30s, right? right? I yeah. mean, he's a guy in his early 30s kicking the religious establishment. And so as I listen to my friends in ministry who are like, you know, we're having a hard time these people won't listen to us. I'm like, well, that's kind of the cross. Like, it's like that's what, that's that's the legacy of Jesus. 
he's the ideal he's the person that we're following but what's happening though is there is the whining the complaining the lifting up of the 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 injustices that are done to my generation i feel like are are making my generation in many senses feel entitled and making us forget that real transformation always requires a cross and that it might it might actually uh, transforming the denomination transforming evangelicalism might look like having to endure some sort of suffering you know but uh, in in kind of talking about the trajectory of evangelicalism in america whether or not we'd like to admit it a lot of us have a sense of have a sense of the prosperity gospel we've bought this idea that if i'm following jesus i'm going to prosper and things are going to go really really well for me which is the opposite of the cross okay prosperity gospel is opposite of cross theology and while a lot of these you know young people would say you know i'm i'm a christian and i'm i'm you know i'm i'm following jesus what they don't realize is that they're they're following the prosperity gospel ideology more than they are following cross theology ideology and they're saying like i'm done with this suffering nobody's listening to me i'm out of here i'm going to either leave ministry altogether or i'm going to go somewhere else that has you know political or social views that are more similar to mine because they're because in those in those places there will be no suffering hmm. and honestly i'm i'm thinking about this you know through the lens of pastoral ministry and the different conversations that are going on i'm gonna i'm gonna just do a hard pause right here and just recognize everything going on in our world as far as emotional conversations we ought to we ought to recognize that like we're all very emotionally fragile in the midst of like the end or the middle of or the end of this COVID 19 situation like People are incredibly tense. I'm just noticing that. Like people are very emotionally fragile. So I just wanna I wanna I wanna just recognize that. I just wanna speak that out there. Like even you listening to this podcast, you know, you may be hearing this idea of the cross and you may be thinking to yourself, like, I've had enough suffering and like I just want you to know like I'm hearing that everywhere. I'm hearing everywhere that people are done. They're done, they're fed up, they're fed up with with either their marriage or their relationship with 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 their boss or with you know institutions with the American government everybody's like if you feel right now like you're fed up i just want you to know like you're not alone <laughs> Every, like right. a lot of people in the world feel very fed up right now but the heart of the 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 my kind of like pastoral plea to everybody in the world right now that's a christian would be this do you think jesus was probably fed up I mean, imagine coming to, John says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yeah. The creator of the universe had no home amongst his own. Imagine how emotionally exhausting it would be to be Jesus. Yeah. You know? But he says to us, if anyone would come up, come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I think that, that just another depth um, and we talked a little bit about this before, but I think that we equate when I just go through a rough time or have a rough situation in my life, um, that that is the cross that Jesus is speaking of. Mm. And to me, it reminds me more of the thorn in Paul's flesh than it does the understanding of when Jesus says, take up my cross and follow me. Because sometimes we'll say, oh, I'm got this, you know, got cancer and carrying cancer is serious. We're not making light of, of that. 
and we say, well, this is just my cross to bear or whatnot. Why haven't you known in your own family? Your son? Yeah, my son yeah, is a cancer survivor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's anybody that like, if there's anybody <laughs> that can speak to the scariness and the tragedy absolutely, of like absolutely. that, like you're not being, you're not, not being, being dismissive it. of it absolutely. by saying that. No, I, but 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 people will go through something like that and they will say exactly that. They'll say, "This is my cross to bear." Right. And I think when Jesus was talking about this, once again, it was a bigger understanding of how the world worked and looked. And and I think you're right that. That in Jesus's time, you know, we have two political parties. I think there was like four major political parties in Jesus's time. And they all had an idea about what it would take for Messiah to come. All had an idea about what the people of God should do to prepare for Messiah. All had an idea that if we don't do this, the Messiah won't come. And Jesus comes in the middle of it and says, I'm here. And But they had a totally different understanding about what that was supposed to look like and mean. So they didn't embrace him. And yet he still had loving compassion. And I think that sometimes we see Jesus's conversations with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and all that as tension or um, that, that he was against them. I really think he wanted them to be a part and was trying to bring them in and was trying to break down maybe some of the ideology that they had and said, no, this is what the kingdom looks like. But we look at it through a lens of, he was just giving it to them and he was just berating them. And I think there may be in some piece of that, but I think it was always with the heart of trying to say, no, this is what this kingdom is about. This is what this kingdom looks like. And I want you to be a part of it, um, not on the outside, but you're going to have to let go of some of your understanding. And so I think when he says, take up your cross, it is this selfless, this forgiveness this this understanding that no matter what the world may be doing or how the world thinks about how things should or shouldn't be, the way that we're going to really be who God is calling us to be is service, is self-sacrifice, is love, is, is forgiveness. Even when people are nailing you to a cross, you still reach out in forgiveness to them. Uh, that there, it's a way of living. It's a way of understanding, once again, who we are to be. Uh, if somebody slaps you on the right, the left cheek or the right cheek, turn to them the left was a way of saying, hey, you are going to, you're looking at me as a lesser, but I want you to look at me as an equal, right? Like it, it was a way of being in the world that that brought up the poor and the marginalized and the women to a place that says we're all created in God's image. We're all a piece of this, all a part of this. And so to me, taking up the cross, once again, is not you go through a rough time and you just say, this is my cross to bear. It's living and being different in the world that brings about a kingdom, a world in such a way that is different than than anything. It's the way God originally intended for it to be. And, and that if the call to be a part of that kingdom, that life is to say that people may look at you and people may say, you don't know what you're talking about. People may say you are young and you need to, to go away until you're in leadership. And you may have people in higher ups that don't listen, but you understand that the call is to be with the people that you that God has placed you with and to make a difference in the, the community, the context that God has put you in. Understanding that that can have ramifications and ripple effects that will be far reaching. I mean, think about Jesus. He he stayed within, I don't know, like 
I don't know, I haven't ever studied the distances of the journeys that Jesus took, but he didn't travel very far. You're probably like a 50 mile radius, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, like, and yet what he did and what he was setting up has literally changed the fabric of society from that point forward. And, and so it's not necessarily about the scope, I think, but it's about how are you being in where where you find yourselves being present and setting up that kingdom where you find yourselves a different way of living where the lonely now have a place to belong where the people who are frustrated have a place of longing and identity that isn't connected to what they can produce and how they can can contribute to what the empire is doing are you creating a place of community for people to be able to come and and find that hope find that that longing that desire that isn't based on their circumstance, but is based on who God has created them to be and the image that God has created them into. So I think when Jesus is saying, when you do that, the people who want to maintain power are going to feel like, well, I, they're not going to be able to control, right? And there's going to be this movement that isn't based on you producing and, and, and living into the understanding of how the empire thinks things should work and the identity that comes from that. It's going to be based on something that they can do whatever they want to do, but I still going to have meaning and purpose and, and, and hope in the midst of, of all of life. And when you start to give people a hope that isn't based on empire ruling over you and I will take care of you and, and, and the people who say, you can do whatever you want to to me. This is where I'm going to put my energy, my effort is this kingdom and this understanding. Um, and these are the people that I think are important. And these are the people that I'm going to serve. These are the people, this is how I'm going to live in the midst of where I find myself. I'm sorry, I don't know. That would... no, that, was, that was very, very helpful and insightful and honestly challenging to me. I mean, I'm just thinking internally about a lot of things one of the things that i think is an as a a very human impulse a very human desire is to be vindicated Mm. especially when people have gone through like a tough time or they feel like someone's not listening to them in an argument particularly we all want to be vindicated we all want to be proven publicly right jeremy do you think was jesus ever vindicated how do we tell that story? Um, because I probably I'm not, not in the way that that we would, but I think that it just goes to the whole point, and I think we've talked about it before that we have a misconstrued understanding of what justice is mm. in our culture, and 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 how in scripture justice was not the bad people are going to get taken care of. Justice in the Bible was the poor and the marginalized are going to be lifted up. Mm. And it was a more of a positive thing for the Israelites. That's why they prayed for it. We fear God's judgment. And the Israelites, no, we want the judge to come because that means things will be made right. And and we who are on the underside of society are going to be put back at, at the understanding of how God created us to be. So we look at justice and our justice system as we got to make sure the bad guys go to prison or the bad guys are taken care of. And when we apply that to our understanding of God, we think that we we fear that because what if I've done something that I don't know about or what if I have have, have messed up? But a, a biblical, the reason the Israelites wanted it and begged for God to show up and bring judgment, they didn't fear it, was because it was going to be when the world was put back to rights and things were going to be made the way that God wanted them to. And so I think that that 
was Jesus vindicated? Probably not in a Western understanding of how the judicial system works, mm. but in an understanding of how the kingdom works. Um, yeah, I, w- I would I would say so. Well, so that yeah, it wasn't meant to be a trick question. It really was sincere. I I have thought to myself because there there are there are moments in my life where you know I see a I I want to call out like a particular leader or I want to I want to prove my point to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like you just find yourselves in leaders in these leadership situations whether it's, you know, in a in a meeting like a staff meeting or even like I you know I'm in the academic world kind of in a like in a classroom even, you know, in some sort of like academic argument and you're like, "Man, I want to, you know, I want to prove my point, you know?" And this impulse I just feel like is very human. I feel like people that's that's a desire of all of us to be vindicated. But we before coming on the podcast, we were having some conversation, the pre-conversation conversation. And in the pre-conversation conversation, you talked about our conceptions of Jesus. Yeah. Which I think is I think is interesting and is very germane to the conversation. And I don't know that I'd ever considered this before we were talking about it earlier today. The the thought is, you know, Jesus on the cross is kind of this meek, weak, human individual that allows the empire to crush him. But then all of a sudden, I think maybe we might have this perception now that Jesus has gotten rid of the, he's gotten rid of that meek part of his character. Now he's the boss. Now he's the bully. Now he's the one that comes riding on the white horse. Yeah. And the cross has changed the character of Jesus fundamentally. And so it changes the character of his followers also because while maybe he was calling us maybe he maybe the beatitudes were relevant when before the cross. Now Jesus, now the the beatitudes are irrelevant because meekness. That's for the. Wimps. It's like we have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and now we've got the new New Testament. <laughs> yeah, that we're, like we can't look at the Old Te- the New Testament anymore. Well, because talk talk about that a little bit. Like you were talking about, like the lamb and the yeah, the yeah, yeah, lion. Yeah. So I think like... that um, we see this most clearly. I mean, we love to quote the verse from Hebrews: "Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever." Well, we really don't mean that. <laughs> I mean, let's just be. We don't believe that. Or we would be looking at Jesus on the cross saying, that's who he continually still wants to be in our lives. Um, and so and there's this passage in Revelation 5 where they're, they're sad because there's, these, there's this scroll and nobody's found worthy to open the scroll. And so um, the voice says, wait, don't fret. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the one who's worthy to open the scroll. And then it says in the, the scripture, it's this beautiful, that John turns to look. And as I imagine as he's turning to look, he's turning to see um, whatever William Wallace or the big strong or the, the whatever image you want to put in there. And it says that as I, he says, as I turned to look, I saw a lamb as if he'd been slaughtered. And he was the one who was worthy to open the scroll. And I think that as we are continuing to understand what Jesus was calling us to, 
we can't separate that Jesus was the lamb and now he's going to be the lion. The one who's worthy to open the scroll is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what makes him worthy. Not that he's now some strong lion and he's going to open the scroll. What makes him worthy to open the scroll is the fact that he was the one who died for the redemption, the reconciliation of the world. And because of that, that is what makes him. Um, it's the Philippians 2. Um, the same mind being you that was in Christ Jesus. Well, what was that mind? It was take up your cross. This is who being in very nature. God did not consider consider equality God. And because of that, therefore made himself nothing. Therefore, because of that, he was given the name that was above every name. So the reason people will bow and confess that he was Lord was because that he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, And so I think that, that this theme is throughout all of scripture. It's the theme that, that is, is consistent and i so then i you know so what do we do with a white horse right and this jesus who's coming i think that that was john's way of saying that when kings entered into the city of which they were ruler they came in on a white horse and and he is in essence saying that in the end one day jesus will once again be king he's not coming to 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 um (laughs) how you say this he's not coming to destroy everybody he's coming to redeem He's coming to, to set up his kingdom, but it was the same kingdom that he said, the kingdom, like you see it now. This is what it is. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. It's a cross. It's self-sacrificing. It's, and, and I think so. Um, it reminds me of, uh, sorry, I'm talking for a long time. This is a long this segment. Is great. Um, this is great. It reminds me of the prodigal son. And I think most often in the prodigal son, we just deal with the younger son, but there was the older son. And I think that too often we we fall we are more of the older son than we are the younger son and what's interesting about the older son he had been there the whole time he had been putting in his time and i feel like a lot of the cry that you talk about this millennial conversation is we've been putting in our hours we've been here we've been working we've been doing this now listen to us and let us be a part and um it's interesting because the 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 son was the younger son was coming back saying i want i just want to be a slave i just want to be a servant the older son this is brilliant storytelling by jesus says i have been a slave for you this whole time so even the understanding of what the older son thought he was doing is he thought he was a slave to the father rather than learning from the father and be taking on the father's heart. And if anybody should have been just as excited, if he was learning to be like the father, which one day he was going to take over the family, he was going to be the father in the story. Um, that's the way the families worked is eventually the older yeah. son was the the patriarch at the point. Yeah. And he should have been learning what is the father like? How do I be like the father? How do I... But his whole perception of who he was, was he was a slave to the father. And if he was really taking on the heart of the father, he should have been running to his younger brother, just like the father was running to the younger brother, because that's what God is like. And um, so sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm, I've been putting in the hours, I'm slaving. I, when in essence, I think what we are called to do is try to learn more about the father and who was the father and how did he respond to people and how did he act? And, and we get the essence, I think, in the beginning of Jesus saying, this is what this kingdom is like. Take up your cross. And if we are trying to learn, but if we view ourselves as a slave, I'm just a hired hand. Uh, and now you need to listen to me because it's time for me to take over the, the ranch or whatever. Then I can become very um, 
entitled. I can become very, hey, I've put in my hours. I've, I've, I've done this. Rather than saying my whole point in my life is to become like Jesus, to become like the Father. And, and, and I want to respond in all situations and circumstances, not like a slave, but as one who the Father, his very nature has started to transform my heart and my life. And so I'm going to respond in such a way that if that's what the Father does, man, I want to rush. He should have been right there beside him having a big old family bear hug that this younger son had come back because that was the heart of what the father was like. And too often, and unfortunately, even in the church, we get the the sense of entitlement, like I, I'm do this. I, it's time for me to take over rather than this understanding like, no, the whole point was self-sacrificial love for everybody, that that's what's going to make the world what God intends for it to be. And, um, and that was the point the whole time. Jesus is the non-entitled one. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, it, uh, there's, there's so much stuff out there right now about taking care of yourself, kind of like self care. And I, I personally believe that our, our self care problems are not, are not because are not a result of us needing to take more vacation time or like uh uh take more like personal personal days i I think that our our need for self-care really comes from our lack of sabbath our lack of rest i think that we want to be having this the self-care conversation we weren't running ourselves you know we weren't if we were running the rat race that the world is running as the church but if we were actually like living in a godly rhythm that incorporated Sabbath. I don't know that we would be so worried about self-care, but the problem with the self-care conversation for me is that if you're, if you, when you start having the self-care conversation, there is this moment at which you ask yourself the question, whose care am I going to prioritize my own or that of others? And I've heard self-care people say Jesus was a self-care guru because he would get away early in the morning to pray or like be with his father. And I would just challenge that paradigm. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that from the gospels you can, you can find Jesus to be this, you know, um, I don't, uh, this kind of like new age sage who does, you know, hours of meditation and, you know, eats great, great smoothies every morning. Like I, I think that Jesus received the hospitality that he was given. I think that he was an itinerant minister. I think that there was some funds that were available as he's, you know, traveling. I mean, he was a traveling rabbi, you know, he was a traveling teacher that was very sought after, but I don't, I don't see him to be an individual teaching people to take care of themselves primarily. I mean, I the rich young man comes to him and if he were, if Jesus were a self-care coach in North America and a rich young person would come to him, what he would say to the rich young person is, hey, for, you know, several easy monthly payments of one nineteen ninety nine to my ministry, because we see these, we see these teachers in, in contemporary evangelicalism even that make a profit off their teaching. Jesus doesn't say to that person, give me money. He doesn't say what you need to do is take care of yourself better. He's, he's, he says something completely opposite. He says, what you need to do is you need to sell your money 
or you need to sell your stuff, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me and learn how to take up a cross, yeah. how to be more selfless. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the heart of Jesus's ministry. And somehow we have turned Jesus into uh, Jesus. And I mean, Jesus is full of, of, of paradoxes. I mean, Jesus does say, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Um, for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What I believe that Jesus is saying there is, I think that Jesus, what Jesus is teaching is that if you want to find real freedom in your life and real f- liberation in your life, stop living under the yoke of slavery and the burden of living a self in a selfish paradigm, a, a paradigm of self-focus. Hmm. But come to learn to die. Yeah. Because that's where real freedom is. Yeah. I don't know if we've solved all the world's problems today. I mean, we've just, we really have just been reflecting on kind of what it means to take up the cross of Christ kind of in an existential way. But I, this has come out of kind of this place of, of angst. I, I know that, I know that we're living in a world right now that is very, is very angsty, is very concerned for ourselves. Do you have any pastoral words, Jeremy, as we conclude? Yeah, I don't, and I don't think Jonathan was saying if you're in counseling, like stop and but, but I, I think no you got to I don't I mean take care of again there's the Christianity is one of paradoxes it's one of it's one of um polarities that are held in tension yeah and that I think is what's that's the, Christianity. to me the just the amazingness of people who are psychologists and stuff is I really think they do break down a lot of the things that we have tended to find our identity in and say this is not helpful to you this is you gotta it's almost in essence jesus saying you gotta sell all this stuff and get back to what really makes you who you are um i i think that that as we journey through life as we journey through a world that has so many images that speak into our or try to speak into our life and so many voices and twitter and facebook and all the news and media outlets and all of these things that are saying this is what's important and this is what you should believe that's why I think Christian community is such a big deal and why Sabbath is such a big deal and why I think it's so important to get together and worship and sing and jump into the Bible together because hopefully it's a rhythm that that centers our life back on Jesus and why I think it was such a big deal for the people of God as they took a day to say this is where my identity comes from. This is how yeah. I'm going to live. This is what's going to give me my my purpose, my meaning. Six days I'm going to work and contribute, but this is where, this is who I am and who God actually created me to be. And if we don't take those moments and have that discipline and have those rhythms, we could think that me producing and being a part of, of everyday life is what actually gives me meaning, purpose, and identity. And Jesus is like, no, this is this is who you really are. This is who I am like. This is what I am like. I go after the younger son. I go after the lost sheep. I, this is this is what it means to be a part of this kingdom. And so we take a time uh, once a week, or sometimes maybe more if you're in a small group that meets a different time to to recenter us, to bring us back to the original intent of who God created us to be and what He wants the world to be like. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.